0: It's a conversation, I think, that's going to continue for some time, this whole conversation about gun violence. And that is because we're, we're sick of the talk and there needs to be some action. It's been going on far, far too long. And we really only hear the same talking points, just tweaked a little. But back on uh, June 23rd of 2001, I was assigned to cover off a murder. It was the shooting of a 19-year-old who had been gunned down on a footprint bridge that uh, goes right over the Rosedale Valley. And when I got there, it was a very fresh scene. It was like, you know, any crime story that you go to, we had very, very little to go on other than unknown victim but lived just around the corner. And so I headed over to the area where this man would have lived. And after asking around and trying to find out who knew what and when, We would learn that he was a 19-year-old killed named Justin Shepard, and he was an up-and-coming basketball, uh, literally a phenom, who was set to leave in two days on a full scholarship to an American school. And it also turned out that his half-brother was NBA superstar, uh, Jamal McGlure. And his younger brother was now dead. And the woman I would meet that day was heartbroken trying to make sense of why someone would kill her child. And to this day, no one has had to pay a price, other than, of course, this woman, who then, instead of going into hiding, you know, becoming angry, she decided to make her life about finding justice, not just for her son, Justin, but for others who have been affected or taken out by gun violence. And she started a group called you move, United Mothers Opposing Violence Everywhere. Audette Shepard has done everything possible to stop the kind of violence that killed her child. And yet 17 years later, what has changed? Let's ask her. Audette Shepard joins me now. Audette, you know, it's hard to believe that it's been 17 years because I remember that day very, very well. And I remember meeting you that day and the pain you were suffering. And it's hard to imagine that 17 years later, we seem to not be any further ahead. How do that's you feel?
1: very troubling. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's frightening. It's disheartening. It's, it's just horrific that, you know, after all this time, you know, when I, you know, we thought that things would get better and, and um, mothers wouldn't have to go through what some of us have gone through. Mm-hmm. And there'll be safety, and, and it's still, it's getting worse, you know? And I always talk about the saying that says, the more things change, the more they remain the same, and that is what troubles me more than anything else.
0: And after 17 years, you mm-hmm. still don't have, I mean, you're such a well-known voice in Toronto, and you've had such a huge voice, and yet you still have no answers um, and, and no justice for Justin.
1: None whatsoever, but in my heart, Mm -hmm. I've come come to the realization that there will be justice for Justin. Um, There may not be a legal justice as we have, but there will be justice for him. And there's so many mothers that are still crying out for justice. I mean, there's so much blood on the ground of our city crying out for justice, justice that never comes because justice delayed is justice denied. It's got to stop.
0: One of the things after Justin was killed is, you know, you didn't retreat. You didn't just go on with your life in isolation. You made a purpose of speaking out and giving a voice um, from mothers uh, and, and got really involved in um, trying to prevent and stop the violence. And what is it that is not happening that this crime and, and this gun violence has now gotten so much worse?
1: Well, Alex, seriously, like out of much sorrow comes much resolve. And I, the resolve that I developed after Justin died Justin died, and the purpose in my heart to help some of the mother's child, you know, and some of the mother not to go through this, it, it's, it's still a burning passion in my heart. And I think as, as a city, as, as the people responsible, for the people responsible for running our city, mm-hmm. I don't think that this is a serious issue. I think, you know, sometimes we're playing a political game. You know, it's easy to talk the talk. We need to make this a priority. We cannot keep saying that this city is safe compared to other cities. Right now, we're not concerned about other cities. We're concerned about our city and our children that are dying in this city. And and these are the things that, that irks my spirit, irks my heart, because we're not doing enough.
0: Right. And so we hear the thoughts and prayers and we hear Mayor Tory uh, and the police chief talking about Toronto still safe. Toronto is the good. But optically, it sure doesn't feel like that because now Absolutely. we're seeing killings in the middle of, of, of the streets in broad daylight. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because people are getting bolder and bolder. And one of the things that I've always said is the police need to work smarter than trying to work harder. They need to be, you know, be able, they need to be on top of things. They need to be, to come up with some strategies. I remember back, and, and it, you know, it's not a one-faceted thing. It's a multifaceted operation that needs to take place. Mm-hmm. They need to reach out and involve the community if they can't seem to do it on their own. I remember back in 2005 when we had mm-hmm. the, the Year of the Gun, you know, I, I, Saw how Premier McGuinty, Bill Blair, David Miller, they took these issues seriously, and they came up, and they were in the community coming up with strategies, engaging the community to come up with some viable strategies that, that you know, could make a difference, and it did make a difference for us, for, for the city. Times have changed, though. Right. You know, with social media... With, with these kids, when you see the caliber of the weapons that they're using, the age of the kids that are using them, you know, things have changed. And, and I seriously don't think that the police is keeping up.
0: Well, you know, they talk a lot um, about not having the resources. There's constantly this argument that we don't have enough police. We need more police. Now, the mayor said there is going to be more police. But when I talk to moms like you or when I talk to the, the mother I talked to last night who lost her son, the same thing is being said that you have to get into these communities and you have to plant roots and cultivate a feeling of safety and care and that's just not happening.
1: And the thing about it is I don't know if maybe, you know, sometimes I feel I feel like I don't know what to say anymore. I don't just don't know what to do. But I don't know if we probably need to go back to the days when we had community policing, right. when we had police walking the beat, when police were proactive, when they were strategic in being able to discern things that would happen and be more preventative, now they're very, and I'm not trying to bash the police, I'm just saying they have, they're have they paid to do a
0: job, mm-hmm. right? But to it's gotten very political. Community. So when we take mm-hmm. things like carding or we take Tavis uh, out of communities, is that something that... Do you want those things back in the communities? Is there something that should be put in that's not being done other than, you know, police walking the beat?
1: Well, the thing, is, the thing about it is, if, if the police would do their job in a respectful way, mm-hmm. and if they would um, do what they need to do in the communities in a way of trust, Maybe it may not be so bad, but they have abused they have abused their powers, they have abused the, the communities that they they walked in to um, to do the the Tavis. and that distanced the community um, because of mistrust yeah so that's another thing that you need, we need to look at more deeply because you cannot come up with strategies in a vacuum. You need to get to the root cause and you need to get to the bottom of, of, of everything and not just say, well, you know, we will focus on, on guns and gangs yeah. and then the social um, issues they, they're still happening.
0: Right. And we have all this money to, to have a sanctuary city and to welcome all these people coming in over the border. We spend tens of millions of dollars on these people, and we, yet we don't spend it in our own communities to help Absolutely. lift people up.
1: Absolutely. You know, and that's where it goes. Like, we all are accountable. We all have a responsibility. And we need to focus on the things that need to make a difference for the people that are already here. You know, when you bring in more people and you, and I'm not against, because I, I'm an immigrant myself, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm not against other people coming in, but you need to take care of your house before you could bring visitors in.
0: I agree. Do you still have the ear of officials? Are you still working with officials?
1: Well, I don't have as much of an ear as I used to have with, you know, for instance, um... Mm -hmm. Chief Blair or David Miller, you know, yeah. in the past. Um, it seems like, um, I don't know, the new, uh, the new, the new guard is, is not listening. The is, is, is sort of have different, they have sort of different things on their agenda. And it doesn't seem like uh, the violence in the city is high up on that agenda.
0: Do you get, do you get the feeling it's going to get worse? Well, I, I'm dreading. I'm hoping not.
1: Because if, if it continues this way, it is going to get worse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's going to be horrific. You can't keep putting a Band-Aid when you really need to do some surgery. You can't keep hiding in the sand and, and um, allowing these situations to continue to happen. Because it has a ripple effect. Sure. It may not have happened in your family.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It may not have happened in your neighborhood. But if it is left to fester, eventually it will come there.
0: Absolutely. It must haunt you when you hear you know, the headlines and see the headlines.
1: It does. You won't believe that after 17 years, you would think that I'm further ahead in, in my emotional um, healing, but every time, and you know, I have mothers reaching out to me, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, I know the pain. I know what happens when they get that call. I know, you know, what they go through, and it just breaks my heart because the fact of the matter is, if it's not, like, you know, there's a saying that says, one day for you and one day for me. Mm -hmm. And we are trying to do whatever we can so that your day doesn't have to come. And when I say your, I don't mean you personally, that something could happen Mm -hmm. to make a difference. And the only way we can make a difference is to joined together with cause of mutuality. We cannot keep working in silos, and then when something happens, everybody jumps out and everybody has something to say, and then when it dies down, everybody goes back to business as usual. Right. It needs to be something going on that's on, ongoing. Prevention initiatives needs to be ongoing, because you cannot wait until the... The horses out of the the, um, the barn,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then think about oh what what can we do? It's yeah. already too late.
0: Absolutely, Audette, thank you so much.
1: You're welcome.
0: Audette Shepard joining us. She is with you Move, and uh, can't can't say enough about her. She's just an extraordinary extraordinary woman who has uh, taken the very worst in life and made it into something purposeful, and that she's not listened to the thought of that very 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 much saddens me because i think there's a lot to be learned by these these women and people speaking out on global news radio